the Girl Crush Podcast. Some theme music. We'll be your Sandra Bullock source. I love the range of movies that she's in. Her eyebrows, they're amazing. She's very striking features. Fast male co-star, quirky little personality. She's got real tears at multiple parts in this movie. Oh yeah. Key Sandra Bullock physical comedy. Powerful woman. I mean, she's a boss the whole movie. I'm just all in. Rom-com. Brilliant. Smart. Five out of five. Hello and welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Anne. We're obsessed with Sandra Bullock, so this season we're watching all of her movies and ranking them. If you want to give us your thoughts, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. And as always, be sure to rate and review. On today's episode, we'll be talking about A Fool and His Money. This movie was released in 1989, and Sandra Bullock plays a character named Debbie Cosgrove. You can watch this on YouTube, I think, for free. Mm-hmm. I somehow ended up buying the DVD for really unknown reasons. So <laughs> now I have the pleasure of owning this. And this movie is about a guy named Morris, and he gets a sign from God to start his own religion based on promoting selfishness. But things spiral out of control, and his girlfriend Debbie walks away. I'm going to say you don't have to watch this. Probably a skip. Probably a skip. But this is your spoiler alert. But I think you're good to just hang with us and hear what we have to say about this one. Exactly. So jumping into the plot of A Fool and His Money, we rated this a 5.25 out of 10. Not strong. Mm -mm. The movie opens on this really dramatic toilet paper ad. (laughs) And Morris is the guy who designed the ad. And he's, like, defending his work, but the toilet paper people don't seem to appreciate it. (laughs) I know that people work for toilet paper companies, but I I just, I'm like, do you think they ever ask themselves, how (laughs) did I end up here? Probably, because a lot of companies who, like, own toilet paper products probably own a lot of other brands as well. So, like, they probably got placed on the toilet paper brand. (laughs) They're like, great, I'm... (laughs) And the TP guy. Right? (laughs) Uh, Seems like it'd be kind of a bummer. I can't imagine being really passionate about toilet paper. Right. But I'm sure some people are. Some people people probably are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we're back. Side note I watched this on YouTube because I did not buy the DVD. And the (laughs) quality was so bad. It was, I think, better in the movie, like actual you know, DVD, but it still wasn't great. Right. I mean, I guess it's from the 80s, so what do we expect, but... Right, right. So our guy Morris gets mugged in an alley walking home drunk late at night, and the people who rob him steal all of his clothes, so he stumbles home in, like, his boxers and socks, and he rings a doorbell, and it turns out he's at the home of his girlfriend, Debbie, played by Sandra Bullock. She opens the door, and she is not amused. She seems really annoyed with him, although I do have to say she seems really unfazed at the fact that he's just come home, like, almost naked. <laughs> right. Has this happened before? Right. Think? It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. So we learn that Morris has this dream to make it in the music industry, but he says he'll never make it, so he's going to play along at the ad agency, just kind of try and climb the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. And Debbie yells at him, saying he has too much talent to waste, And if he does that, then she wants nothing to do with him. Good for you, Debbie. (laughs) So that night, Morris dreams that God is talking to him from the TV. And God on the TV, by the way, is like a tennis pro. (laughs) It's like an infomercial. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so Morris is like soul searching. He's like asking God what to do with his life. And God says that he should go into business for himself. So when Morris wakes up for real, he sees on the TV this TV preacher named Billy Bob. 
and he's saying that God is a Southern white man and a Republican. (laughs) And I'm like, this is in the 80s. Like, I guess, I don't know. It still seemed relevant. It's so cringy. And it's just, it's like of all the things that aged on to be relevant from this movie, why was it that? I know. (laughs) So bad. So unfortunate. Oh, it is. (laughs) So... On TV, Billy Bob is asking for $25 for his political action committee. And this seems to spark an idea for Morris. So Morris goes to a bank to open a corporate account under his new business, which he titles Religion Incorporated. And he tells the banker that he's going to start his own religion. And the banker obviously thinks he's insane, but they allow him to open the account anyway. So Morris catches up with Debbie, who's a public defender, and takes her to lunch, telling her that he quit his ad job and he's starting a religion. And he's basically, like, asking her for legal advice with his new religious business. And Debbie does not believe him. She just thinks this is, like, a dumb joke. So she kind of writes it off. And then they start arguing, insulting each other, and she just storms out. Meanwhile, Morris is trying to get his religion off the ground here. So he does this market study to see what people want from a religion or what's missing. And they found that people are interested in acquisition of wealth and power, duh, and they're willing to forsake morality to achieve wealth. Kind of depressing. It is. And so he determines that his religion will say that it's okay to be selfish because selfish actions can benefit society. And he decides to call his religion the preferent church. So next, he starts interviewing possible, quote-unquote, spiritual leaders. Which are actually just, like, a bunch of models because he wants someone with charisma. Right. He has headshots and resumes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't seem to find the perfect person. And he's at his office late one night when he sees this bright white light and finds a janitor singing. They have this little sing-along together. Weird movie, I'm telling you guys. It is odd. It's like a random song thrown in here. <laughs> And we learn that this janitor named Ian has a PhD in philosophy, but somehow ended up as a janitor. And Morris realizes that Ian comes the closest to meeting his spiritual leader requirements. So he basically offers him the position. And at first, Ian laughs at this idea. But when he hears that the salary is $50,000 a year, he becomes interested. I always have to look up inflation. I love that you do this. When I hear this stuff, I immediately do it every time we watch a movie. Mm. So $50,000 in 1988 was equal to about $111,000 in 2020. So I can see why Ian took the deal. Yeah. I mean, you got to imagine this a step up from what he's making as a janitor. For sure. But Ian's a little hesitant at first, and he calls it a white man's religion because it's basically like a laissez-faire capitalist-like religion. And Ian's black, but Morris says that this makes it even more perfect. Ian eventually agrees to be the spiritual leader. And so they set up a speaking engagement for him with the Young Republicans, who are the only people who expressed interest in this besides the KKK. Such a weird movie. It is so weird. I mean, we weren't alive in the 80s, so I don't know exactly all of the political climate here. Like, I have to assume that it's there's a lot of, like, little humor in here that probably landed even in the 80s like it would be a little tongue-in-cheek now. Right. It's definitely, it's definitely a parody, yes. right? I yeah, mean, that's pretty they're clear. Poking, they're poking fun at a lot of things. Right, right. <laughs> so at this event with the Young Republicans, Ian's speech is not going too well. People seem bored. He's like stumbling over his words. And he kind of notices. So he decides to crumple up his pre-written speech 
and he just starts speaking off the cuff. And he speaks spontaneously about how greed is good for you and for your fellow man. And the crowd just eats it up. So they create a book that has quotes from who they call preferent church prophets, such as John D. Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, etc. <laughs> and they also have these booklets like, quote, extramarital affairs, a handbook, or how to make big bucks off the poor and destitute. <clears throat> so again, this parody really coming to light here. Right. So the religion is growing, and they even have this TV spot where Dr. Ian Clarity interviews new members. And the crowd just cheers as people say that they started looking out for themselves by doing these insane things like stealing from charities, spitting on blind people, cheating on their husbands, like really terrible stuff. Not even just like a little selfish, but just flat out bad. Right. And they also plant people in the crowds to tell stories, like fake stories, about how their cancer is in remission because they've come to this religion. And even preaching about all of this greed, Ian's still able to get the crowd to give $10 each. I think that's so funny. It's so ironic. Yeah, they're, they're preaching this whole greedy religion, but they're making so much money off of it. Right. They're like manipulating the people that they're like, oh, be greedy, but also give us your money. People are dumb for real. It's I mean, so true. <laughs> but our guy Ian here is experiencing some pain in his side, and he says he's had it for a long time, and he's like avoiding going to the doctor. Meanwhile, Morris gets an even larger loan from the bank that allows them to take their religion nationally. And they continue to grow. They're like on magazine covers. They're using helicopters as transportation. Think like mega religion here. Mm -hmm. And Morris's friend Brendan, who we saw got arrested in the beginning of the movie, so a little bit of a shady character, he calls Morris and wants in on this new religion. And he joins the team as a financial advisor and Religion Incorporated goes public. So... I would really love to know your thoughts on churches that are making massive amounts of money. Or like oh, it's awful. The TV preachers, the mega churches, like it just rubs me the wrong way. Yes, absolutely. And I'm a Christian and it totally rubs me the wrong way. Like that is not what I think the faith should be doing or people in the faith should be doing. I hate it. They're like preaching that, oh, give to the poor, help people, love your fellow man. And then they're just taking all this money for themselves. Like you see, even the, you know, mega churches that have like full on rock bands, especially. Uh, yes. And they're spending like a million dollars on sound equipment. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Oh, it's so Get over, over the top. yourself. Like Get when over they have yourself. There's some that have like fog machines. I know. And like light systems. I'm like, this is so unnecessary. Like get a piano and a guitar. It's okay. Like that's fine. Right. And then, you know, buy some kids in your community, some books or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Completely agree. Oh, it makes me just like feel dirty. I hate oh, it. I know. Same. Anyway. So <laughs> Morris calls Debbie and we learn that they haven't spoken in a couple of months and Debbie calls him out for taking advantage of people. And she tells him never to call him again. So seems like we have our girl Debbie on our side. Debbie's over it. Yes. So Brendan approaches Billy Bob, remember the TV preacher, and essentially wants to partner with him to take down the preference church so that they both can benefit. And I don't fully understand why they both would benefit from this, but it, it's a little unclear. I feel like they don't make that super yeah. clear. Yeah, I'm not sure. But Brendan needs somebody else involved so he doesn't get accused of some sort of like insider trading or something since they're like a public company now. And Billy Bob gets someone to tail Ian trying to get photos of him doing something against the ways of this new religion. 
Ian's pain is increasing, and he almost collapses one day after speaking. So he ends up going to a doctor, and the doctor says that there's nothing physically wrong with him. And next, we go back to Debbie's story. We see she's assigned to be a public defender for a man who's on his third offense for drugs and soliciting prostitution. And the man turns out to be a preferent church devotee, and he says he's going to get off on these charges because it was him exercising his religious freedom. And Debbie cannot take it, so she excuses herself from the case due to a conflict of interest. I love that scene, though, where she's meeting with him because she's just trying not to lose her mind. Mm -hmm. She's like, are you serious? Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I'm not doing this. Right. I love that. And then, cue, (laughs) slow-mo scene of Debbie throwing a bunch of papers into the air, throwing her briefcase, smiling, and she just walks away. I feel like this is a little unclear. Did she just quit being a lawyer? (laughs) She's like, I'm not doing any of it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. That one case just pushed her over the edge. Yeah, too far. Walking away from all of it. (laughs) It seemed to be an empowering moment for her, so snaps for Debbie. (laughs) She was going through something. (laughs) So, meanwhile, a needy man asks Ian for money as he walks by, saying he's in dire need of help. And Ian brushes him off at first until the guy says, I'm a thorn in your side. And literally, a chorus of angelic awe plays in the background. Phil, you have to sing it. You're right. And literally, a chorus of angelic, plays in the background. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. So this obviously catches his attention because, remember, he's been having a pain in his side. So he decides to give money to this person in need and also gives him his suit jacket and puts him in the limo. Turns out the guy that was hired to tail him caught this all on camera and gives the photos to Billy Bob and Brendan. (laughs) This part is crazy. So a guy stops Debbie along the street and slaps her and said he's delivering a message for this guy, Leroy Washington, which is the case that she excused herself from. And Morris finds out about it from a newspaper article and goes to visit Debbie in the hospital, which... Now I'm looking at our notes and I'm like, did he really just slap her? Because I don't think he slapped her. I think he like beat her up. Okay. He must have like full on assaulted her. She needed medical attention. Yes. Not that a slap would be okay, obviously. Just right. for the record. <laughs> and Debbie tells him, she's like, one of your disciples did this. And she kicks him out of the hospital room. I love that she's standing her ground here. She really does. So Morris sits on a park bench looking really dejected. And he tears up a magazine that he was on the cover of. Maybe doing a little bit of reflection here. Mm -hmm. And then he lays on his couch in front of the TV drinking scotch. Seems like maybe he's trying to summon God to talk to him again. And sure enough, that night, the TV pops on and it's God, the tennis pro. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And Morris starts talking to God. It tells him he started his own religion. It's getting out of hand. And God is like, you should stay out of the religion business. (laughs) And he's like, I didn't give you any of these signs that you thought that I gave you. And you need to solve your own problems. So Ian and Morris meet up and they decide they need to talk. Ian like brings up the pain in his side. He realizes that this is actually his conscience. And Morris says he's starting to feel the same thing. And Morris's assistant comes over to his house with a newspaper showing the story of Ian giving money to the poor. And Morris is actually fine with it. And he's like, you'll probably be seeing a new side of Ian and me. So just a 180. Just a total 180 here. 
So Morris holds this press conference saying that what Ian did was respectable. And he basically goes back on everything he's been preaching, apparently moved by presumably what happened to Debbie. Mm -hmm. And Morris and Ian just sit in Morris's office while people are like picketing outside because they're upset. And Ian says he's going to try to get a job teaching philosophy. And Morris says he can't think beyond tomorrow. But afterwards, you hear on the radio that the preferent church actually gave all of their money to charity and closed. Big growth moment. Big growth moment coming out of nowhere. Uh, Seriously. So Morris goes to Debbie's old apartment, but finds out she doesn't live there anymore. And he learns from her old roommate that she left and said something about a foreign country. So Morris goes to the airport and apparently has an idea of where she would go. And they literally run into each other. And Morris tells her that he loves her. And then they walk off together to board a flight. So apparently she's into him again. And that's how the movie ends. Yeah. So it's like, it's weird because there's definitely some points for humor here. Yeah. They clearly are trying to be a parody. There are some funny moments where it's like, yeah, obviously that's a caricature of, you know, certain types of people or certain groups and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some humor in there, but it doesn't fully land as being like a really good cinematic movie. Right. I mean, it is entertaining. This movie's only 81 minutes, so it wasn't a movie that was so bad and so long that we were, like, miserable watching it. Right. I agree. There are some chuckle-worthy moments. Again, think it's hilarious how this movie has aged. Like, I wish we could show these people in 1988 what happened and has been happening over the last couple years thanks to people really, you know, subscribing to the be selfish, it's good mindset. Right, right. (laughs) Kind of backfired in a big way. Exactly. So. I don't know. Like, I think it's a good parody. And actually, I think the way that you told the plot, it kind of cut out some of the unnecessary pieces of it and made the parody and caricatures more clear. Because in the movie, like, I don't know if you really pick up on it as much real time as you do hearing it back. I agree. Yeah. It's almost like when it was done, you're like, oh, okay. Because there are a lot of unnecessary characters. Right. Yeah. And we had a lot of notes. We had a lot of notes here, like going back and forth about what percent of people we think would actually fall into or like subscribe to the preferent church bucket. Yes. yes. And I said at least 50%. <laughs> Which I was like, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I just think too highly of people, but I don't think it's that much. But I also will say we watched this movie last summer. So our original notes are from July of 2020. So think about this. We're like in the height of COVID. There's a lot of stories about people not staying home, not wearing their masks, like things that would fall into what we could call the preferent church mentality. (laughs) So I wonder if that could be like clouding us a little bit. Right. I mean, I don't think people are out there spitting on blind people. Oh, yeah. But (laughs) I do think... I think like the more real life version of it you're saying. Yeah, but I think human nature unfortunately is to be inherently selfish. And so I thought it was very interesting to see in this movie that obviously they take it to a whole new level. Right. But to see that kind of like extrapolated, exaggerated version of it was interesting. And honestly, the fact that this dumb movie from 1988 made me think this much at all is (laughs) impressive. True. That's so interesting. I don't know if I would say that people are inherently selfish. Oh, I think they are. But I know I'm like a very positive, sometimes to a fault person. I think I'm a pessimist. (laughs) We balance each other out. (laughs) 
We do. We do. <laughs> oh, that could be a good poll question. Getting a little that serious on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're new to Girl Crush Podcast, every Thursday we do movie polls where we will poll our Instagram audience on topics that come up either in our podcast episode or come up in the movie. And usually they're like super lighthearted, but maybe we'll throw this one in there and see what our see where our audience falls. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what other people think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting that even at the time, reviews were critical of the poor audio quality of the film. So yeah. they maybe didn't have any sound equipment. The megachurch should have lent them some. <laughs> They should have made a church to fundraise to be able to fund their movie. <laughs> they should have. <sighs> I think the biggest drawback to this movie is like the whole thing is like a little bit unbelievable. Obviously, get that it's a parody, but like him coming back around at the end, it felt like maybe there should be a more serious moment of self-realization or growth. Like he just suddenly like changes his mind. I get that it's a parody, but it was almost like if you were going to have a big change of heart, I wish they would have made a bigger deal out of it. I agree. And I, I get that it was because Debbie got attacked, but it seems like it should have been a bigger thing than that, right? Like that right. seems like it should have been either the first thing or or just the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back. Not the only thing for him to just kind of yeah. on a dime say, oh, never mind. I'm going to cash in my millions or whatever right. that I've made off this and donate it to charity and totally change my tune. Yeah. It's so not believable. And I think there's something they could have done with when he sees God again in his dream and is like, hey, I started my church. Like, it's all going wrong. What did I do wrong? And God says, like, you misread the signs I gave you. I think it could have been funny to, like, actually have some other signs that maybe he had seen that were misconstrued in his mind as, like, oh, I should be really selfish instead of, like, solving his problem a different way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they built that out a little bit more, it could have been, like, a humorous moment and also helped it to come full circle. So I'm hearing that you wanted this movie to maybe be Bruce Almighty. (laughs) Whoa, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, basically, yes. Basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. This is a poor man's Bruce Almighty. Totally agree. I was totally thinking of that, especially as you were going back through the plot, because Allie did take out some really unnecessary stuff. Like Morris's mom is in this movie. She plays zero purpose. Oh, literally so, none. Therefore, we did not mention her at all. Yeah. And like, there's a lot more of Brendan than we actually talked about. And it's like not super necessary. And at the end of the day, like him trying to take down the church wasn't even necessary to the story. Like that's not what helped them change their tune. Mm -hmm. We were curious at the time. So this was her first 80s movie that we watched. Mm -hmm. Her other 80s movies are Bionic Showdown, Preppy Murder, Hangman, and Who Shot Pat. And I think Hangman and Who Shot Pat obviously did worse than this. Yes. And Bionic and Preppy did slightly better. On plot score, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was like a noticeable difference for Hangman and Who Shot Pat being noticeably worse. I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay, so for Sandra Bullock's character, Debbie, we gave her a 6.5 out of 10. First moment on screen, she comes out of the gates real strong. She does not pity Morris. Yep. And she tells him to either do what he really wants or get over himself. Yeah. Which I'm like, good for you. Exactly. I I feel like we enter their relationship where she's just kind of already at her wit's end and she's kind of over it. 
She's like fed up already. Yeah. So I, I like that she stands up for herself, knows what she wants. She really speaks her mind throughout the whole movie. So that's fun. Yeah. Always good to see from her. And when was this? 1988. Is this her third movie? This is her fifth movie. Oh well, I don't gosh. know. She had four movies come out in 1989, actually. So who knows? Do you think? <laughs> We'd have to look think, at the release dates. <laughs> do you think it was Hangman or do you think it was Bionic Showdown that got her these four other gigs? I hope it was Bionic Showdown, but that was in 1989. Maybe that was early 89. Oh, shoot. But people wouldn't have seen the finished product yet if they hired her for these other movies. It can't have been Hangman. She just had really good auditions. She just had great auditions. A great reel. Her growth from Hangman to Bionic Showdown two years later is phenomenal. It is leaps and bounds. Yes. The one thing I don't like about her character is that she just gets back together with Morris and we have no reason to believe that they're actually good together or should be together or that she even likes him. And she's like annoyed with him throughout the entire movie. So I feel like it would have been a way better ending had she just not gotten back together with him. Or if they were going to get back together again, they should have had a scene that had a more legit apology, like realizing the error of his ways and the people he'd hurt and things like that. Because otherwise, it's just not believable that she'd go back to him. Yeah, it's such a weird change of heart for no reason. Right. It's so strange. She left him behind, and then he runs into her in the airport, and they just make out and get on a plane. Right. very weird. It makes no sense. Super weird. Yeah, I think that's why we docked her character the most. Because otherwise, like, she she was starting out to be a good character. She was. So for Sandra Bullock's acting, we rated this a 5.25 out of 10. You can definitely tell it's early on in her career. You can kind of tell she's acting. It's not quite as natural. But as far as 80s acting goes, she actually does a decent job. We kind of talked about some of her other movies that were released around this time. And in her first three movies, we rated her acting around a 3 or 3.5. And this movie, we rated a 5.25. So definitely a step up. Yeah, agreed. You can still tell that she is acting here. It's not Mm -hmm. super natural. But overall, she does a decent job. Her voice sounds different to me in this movie for some reason. Yeah, that's that's interesting. We'll blame it on the audio quality. That's probably it. And for a Boss Babe score, we gave her a 1 out of 2. She is a public defender, which takes guts, but otherwise, not a lot going on here for her in the Boss Babe department. Nope. And for Would You Watch Again, we rated this a 1 out of 5, meaning that we both said, no thank you. No thanks. Don't need to see this one again. So to review for A Fool and His Money, we rated the plot a 5.25 out of 10, Sandra Bullock's character Debbie a 6.5 out of 10, Sandy's acting a 5.25 out of 10, a Boss Babe score of a 1 out of 2, and a Would You Watch Again score of 1 out of 5, meaning that A Fool and His Money has a total of 19 out of 37 points and is ranked number 38 out of 48 Sandra Bullock movies. The great thing about this is that it barely beat out Speed 2 Cruise Control by 0.5 points, (laughs) which is just sad either way you look at it. It really is. It really is sad. If you haven't listened yet, the last episode we did was Speed 2 Cruise Control and the original Speed before that, so highly recommend you take a listen. You're in for a treat. You really are. And the stark difference between those two episodes and our feelings on those movies really comes to light. (laughs) We make it very clear how we feel. Yeah. So honestly, really sad for Speed 2 to come in lower than this movie. Yeah, it's a big disappointment. And I would die to know Sandra Bullock's feelings on that. Oh, same, same. Oh. Mm. Will we ever know? Probably not. One of you out there has to have a connection. 
please let us know. Slide into our DMs. As always, thanks for listening to the Girl Crush Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on today's movie. You can find us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. You can also email us at podcastgirlcrush at gmail.com or find us on our website at girlcrushpodcast.com. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about The Vanishing. Bye. Bye.